Um, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, I wanted to share some things with you and that are in my spirit and in my heart. Um, I pray that this will be a blessing to you. I want to honor you as a church. I just want to thank you so much for your, your love for Jesus. I want to thank you for serving the body of Christ. I want to thank you for your faithfulness just to, to one another, to Jesus, to, to church. Thank you so much. And it's just wonderful to live with you, serve God with you, um, be able to participate in life with such wonderful people. So thank you all so much. And thank you for being here tonight. I wanted to read this in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, um, verse, verse 9. I wanted to read verse 9 because I can't really say that verse, verses 1 through 8 would really apply to me. Although I think all of us could say at some point in our life we felt as though Satan has buffeted us, right? We felt as though Satan has come against us and certainly God allowed that conflict in our life, but... Um, I think that verses 1 through 8 are such a personal testimony of the Apostle Paul's. But I believe when he comes into verse 9, he's given us doctrine. He's given us um, an anticipation of something that we should expect and, and we should believe for. The way God took Paul to this point was different than the, the way he took Peter to this point. But... This is where God is bringing all of his people. He wants to bring you to a place where you rely upon his grace. Where you rely upon his presence. Where you, where you don't rely upon your power. But you become content with your weakness. Not because you believe in God's power. But because you experience God's power. There's a difference when we kind of go through life just trying to tell ourselves that God is strong and God is mighty. And there's quite another thing when you know that he is and you know that he is in you. And so Paul says in verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I believe all of us can claim that. God's grace is sufficient to us. God is saying that his strength is made perfect in weakness. I believe that's the same for us. God's strength will be made perfect in our weakness. To the degree that we're strong, we're going to try to mix our effort to help God. But when we're weak, we're just totally dependent upon the Lord's strength and power. And then Paul says something that I don't think that he learned this right off the bat. And I think it was something that as he walked with God and experienced these things in life, he came to know them more fully. And the reason I say that is I would pull from Philippians chapter 4 when Paul said, I learned to be content. It's not simply an anointing on my life. I learned how to be content. Because he found himself, he says in Philippians chapter 4, in all manner of difficulties, Rich and poor and fed and hungry. And he said in all of these things, you know, he's learned to be content that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And that gives hope to me. And, and hopefully it would be hope for you that we can learn God's power in our life. And, and be able to express what he's about to say here. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities... 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And that's the reason he glories in it. He's not glorying in infirmity so God can just simply do something wonderful through his life. But he's glorying in these things because he's having an opportunity to experience God firsthand. He's going to experience the power of Christ resting upon him. And so I would, I would say that I don't believe that we would really glory in infirmity if we're not experiencing this. If all we experience is the heaviness of life or the crushing of life, I don't believe that's something we would really look forward to the next time we have to go through it. But if God's power literally rests upon us, a supernatural manifestation of God in a time of realistic weakness, then the next time we face that kind of weakness, we would almost be happy, glad. And that's, that's supernatural. But, but I, again, I don't think we're going to have that gladness if we don't have the reality of this power resting on our life. I trust that you're familiar with the power of God resting on your life. I'm, I trust you're familiar with that comfort. Because he goes on, he says in verse 10, Therefore, because of this power of Christ that rests upon my life, I take pleasure in infirmity. Who can say that? I mean, what, what person would admit to that if this comfort of God... If this resting power of God were not real, why would somebody say that? And I, I, I trust that it's real with Paul. That he could take pleasure in infirmity, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And he sums it up again. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And it's this power of God that is on his life. And Paul is confessing that I am more aware of God's power on my life when I'm weak. And I'm more aware of my weakness, not in the good times of life, but in the difficult times of life. In the times of distress, in the times of necessity, in the, in the times when I'm being reproached because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, Paul was well acquainted with that. That's when he recognized more fully his weakness and the comfort and the power of God resting upon his life. And he, he had this surge of power in him. To be able to go on. He, he knew it was grace. We're going to come to this in a moment. In another epistle that Paul wrote. But it's, it's the same heart. It's the same things that are in his life. As he is talking about this. And um, I, I believe like so many of you. I've touched this. I, I've touched it. I, I, I by no means claim. That I have arrived at any place close to where Paul had come to. But I've touched it. And, and I believe many of you have touched this as well. Um, I, I would say to you tonight. That I'm being crippled. 
I would say that to you tonight, but not, I, I wouldn't say it to you tonight in a way that I would want you to weep for me. I would say to you tonight that I'm going to share pain with you. But I'm not doing it in any sense of the way that I would need self-pity or sympathy from you. I hope you understand that. There are times in our life when we do go through something. We go through something horrific or we go through grief or loss or something like that. And we, and we do need the sympathy of people. I'm, I'm not saying this tonight for that reason. I'm just saying this tonight because I believe it's something that God is pressing me into. I, it's, this, it's this being broken all over again. It's, it's entering into, for, for myself, this, this season of becoming weak. And I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I miss God's covering. I, I miss God's fellowship. And, it, it, and it's not that his fellowship is not with me all the time. But I become very lazy and I become very distracted when I feel like I've got it all together and everything seems to be going wonderful for me. It's, it's as though God is not as necessary. He is. But in, in my reality, it's not like I'm just like, I'm desperate for you and I need you. But when you feel God beginning to break you and, and God's beginning to humble you, whatever means that is, you know now, I know now, I'm excited about this. I really am. I'm looking forward to this. It's, it's like I'm being broken down to size to fit back into the secret place that I love being in. I remember through so many trials in my life when I would face things in life and God was telling me and even foretelling me of things that I would go through in my life. And I would beg God not to bring me into that. Don't let these things happen. I don't want to face this. I don't want to go through that. And, and God would simply say, you know, well, this is where we're going. And I'm not asking your permission. This is where I'm, I'm the shepherd. This is where I'm taking. There are green pastures. There are still waters. But for us to get there, you're going to go through something. I'd kick and scream and cry and say, oh, God, No. No, and then, you, then you're in the middle of the wilderness with God. You can't run. You don't know where to go. So you're just kind of stuck with him, and you're saying, God, let me learn the lesson. Let me learn it fully. I don't want to have to go through this school again. And as you continue to walk with him, and, and the blows are there, and the crushing is there, and the reproaches are there, and the necessities are there, at least for me, I, I can remember very clearly just being on my face before God, asking the Lord, please don't ever let this end. Don't ever take me out of this place, this sense of weakness and desperation, because I've never really realized your company, your fellowship, your power, like I'm realizing it right now. And so I'm grateful for God 
because of the reality of his presence. And if that presence wasn't real to me, I I couldn't expect or anticipate with a longing for this little season that God is going to bring me into. So it's exciting to me. So I'm going to share a little bit of this with you, not not for self-pity, not not for sympathy, not not for you to weep for me, rejoice with me. I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what God is teaching me and God is doing. And I share this with you for the body's sake. I share this with you for those of you that may be called upon, maybe right now in your life, to go through a time of confusion or a time of suffering or a time of distress or a time of loneliness, um, a time of the feeling of abandonment, whatever it may be. I, I, I share this with you for your benefit, to, to put strength in you, to help you. Um, for we're all acquainted with this, not just Christians, but anybody who lives in this world is acquainted with this, but the people who don't know God don't know his comfort. You and I can. Praise God. So I was reminded of this scripture even this morning as I was praying, and I was in my little office off of our bedroom, and I was in Luke 10. You can turn there and read it with me. And so I was praying, and I wasn't really in Luke 10. I was just really praying, and I heard this word And I I wanted to look it up in the Bible. And it's found in Luke chapter 10 verse 17. And it says. um, And the 70 returned again with joy. Saying Lord even the devils are subject to us. Through your name. And he said to them. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold. I give. Unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And when, when I was just in, in prayer this morning, you know, and, and just understanding, you, you just sense the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And my expectation of God, his presence, and you're just like, you're just so excited for him. Please understand that. I'm so excited for him. I really am. Like, like I haven't been in a long time. And, and just, and, and I can even sense him. There now, just like you can just sense him drawing near. There's, there's a psalm that says, God says, I'll just cover you with the feathers of my wing. You can just, you can hear it. You can just, you can almost hear it poetically, if you will, God flying in and just stretching. You can just hear him stretching out his feathers and he's about to take you in. I, I sense that. My, my, my heart is excited. My spirit is excited for this intimacy with God that I'm looking forward to. And, 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 and in this whole process of what God has been doing with me and, and, and bringing me into and, and, and dealing with me about, I, this is kind of where God was 
dealing with me, the, the breaking of this is, and again, I'm not asking for pity, all right? So please don't give me that or, or weeping for me. This is good. But I'm just thinking about my life and thinking about the ministry and thinking about church and serving God and what I've been doing for 37 years, 38 years, what I've been doing. And I just felt such, I just felt like such a failure. You know, you just feel like such, I feel like such dejection. Now, this is why. How do you ever sense that you've done enough for such a great king? How do you, how, how could I ever feel as, as though I have accomplished enough? I, I have revealed him enough. I have served him well enough. I have demonstrated him good enough. And it, and it was that sense in me. And, it, and it's, it's, it was wrong for me to look within myself to even do that. Because only the Holy Spirit can do that. But nonetheless, that's what I was doing. And I was going through this, this crushing. And God was allowing these emotions just begin to stir inside of me. And war in me. And war against me. And I heard this verse this morning. Rejoice not that the devils are subject to you. In the 70, coming back to Jesus and saying, oh God, where we went, the, the people were healed. And, and the people listened to us. And the devils were cast out. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. But rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Or that your names are written in heaven. And, 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 I, and I just stopped and I just said, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saying that because my joy does not come in how good I served you or how bad that I served you. My joy is what you've done. And because what you've done, my name is written in heaven. Not because I cast the devil out, or not because a sick person was healed, or not because a city was converted. But God, thank you for what you've done. That's what I rejoice in. Because of what you've done, my name is written in heaven. And so that was like God just kind of this morning taking me under his wing and beginning to lift me. Just lift me, you know, into his presence into his covering into his secret place um, that is the most wonderful wonderful place to be and I think about these things and I think about ministry and I think about everything that you want to give to God think about everything you want you know what I'm talking about right I mean I'm, I'm sure you have the same desires in you we wanted to do 700 we did six something. We're going to do 700. But as we rejoice, our names are written in heaven. You know? And it's like, God, you, I want to serve you. I, I want there to be great things that happen through my life. I, I want there to be great things that happen in our church, God. I, I want there to be great things that happen in our family. I want there to be great things that happen in our relationships. But God... Sometimes we don't see those things. Sometimes we long for those things, but we don't see. I would love for this church to be packed out tonight. 
And sometimes when I look out in the church and I see that it's not packed out and I see, you know, multitudes of people that are not here tonight, I wonder, God, where did I fail you? Where did I fail you, God? Who did I hurt? Why did I hurt them, God? Why did I wound them, God? Where did I let them down, God? Why wasn't I a better leader, God? Why wasn't I a better pastor, God? Why, why couldn't I gather your lambs together, God, on a Wednesday night or on a prayer meeting night? Why do they fall away, God? Why, why, why does some discontinue to walk with you, God? Where, where did I fail? For? And I weep about this. I, I, I weep about it. Day and night I do. And, and I grieve about these things. And, and the Holy Spirit just says, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And sometimes when we look at ministry, and we do it in the context of people. We do it in the context of ourselves. We do it in the context of one another. I want to read two scriptures with you to, to move into the heart of this. John chapter 6, Jesus is ministering. And in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Well, we don't have to wonder if that was a tough statement. You can say all you want. That was a Middle Eastern phrase. That was a Jewish symbolism. Well, the Jews didn't get it because they left him. This was tough. And it says in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus to the twelve. Will you go away also? So, he, so here's Jesus in his ministry. And I don't know how many thousands of people have been gathering around Jesus. And all of a sudden, they're all gone. To such a degree, he looks at his 12 disciples and says, will you go away also? Jesus is stricken with this. It has affected him. And so sometimes that happens. But sometimes it doesn't happen suddenly. Sometimes when we're going through life in the context of relationship, it can happen gradually. I want you to see this to what happened to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We were just there. But let's go back there really quick. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this in verse 15. He says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. This was a gradual pain, a marinating pain that Paul would walk through in ministry. Now, I say that I don't want to localize this to ministry or church life. I want it in its broader sense of marriages, friendships relationships okay because one of the primary things that we learn about the ministry of Jesus Christ it's relationship it's friendship this is one of the primary things about Jesus um, not buildings not projects but people how can you love God whom you haven't seen 
if you don't love the brothers that you see, right? So it's in that context. And so I want to take you to something. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to read this with me that Paul says. We're just going to go through these scriptures hopefully quickly. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1. Paul says this, and I just want you to see the rub, the rub of life. It happens all the time in, in, at work, at home, in relationships. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And while one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We're just ministers by whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave to every man. I've planned, planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We're just people. But God's the one. God is the one that he's bringing out in this. And then I want you to go to chapter 4. And I want you to read this with me, beginning in verse 7. And I want, you to see, I want you to see the rub of life. Please remember what we read in 2 Corinthians, where Paul said that God's grace is sufficient for me. For when I'm strong, weak, then am I strong. And I gladly... I gladly receive persecution, affliction, reproaches, necessities. Because it's then that God's power. So keep that in mind as you read this. All right? Because Paul's not wanting sympathy. He's just describing life. His life. And so I want you to see it. He says in verse 7 of uh, 1 Corinthians 4. For who makes you to differ from another? And what hast thou that? You did not receive. Now if you did receive it. Why do you glory? As you had not received it. Now you are full. Now you are rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God you did reign. That we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth. Us the apostles last. What a feeling. I don't think he's asking for sympathy. I don't think he's. I don't think he's suffering the way we might think he's suffering. We would perceive that if we did not understand the power of God resting on us. And the grace of God surging through us. We might assume that. But I don't believe that at all. I think he's even celebrating this. And so at verse 9, I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle to the world, 
and to angels and to men. We are fools. And that word means this. We are stupid. We are absurd for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. This is sarcasm. We are weak. But you are strong. You are honorable. But we are despised. Even to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. And I think he's gladly receiving this. I think he's rejoicing in this condition. We hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And we labor, working with our own hands... And being reviled, please listen to this. This is where I want to come to. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world. Can I interject? But God's power rests on me. Wow. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. But God's power rests on me. I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beg you, be ye followers of me. And I remind you to what we read a moment ago. And I'll just read it to you again. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And he's begging these people. He's begging this church. He's begging his friends. He's, he's begging his family. To understand the high calling of this life. The privilege of this life. The joy of this life. Is the identification with Jesus Christ. He even says. And I'm, I'm going to reference this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And if you want to just listen to it. It's just very short. But he says this in 2 Timothy 4.16. He says at my first answer. No man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. The power of God rested on me. And and Paul says this. He said at my first answer no man stood with you. Paul was going through a, a very strategic attack against his life. This guy named Alexander was, um, he was committed to redefine what Paul was saying in an effort to get Paul in trouble. To get Paul beat. To get Paul whipped. And Alexander's influence was so great that when Paul sent out, help, help me to the church. Nobody came. Wow. 
But God was with me. And God strengthened me. Wow. Amazing. That's the rub of life. This is the rub of life. When you are doing everything you can for life, for God, for one another. And you enter into these moments of life that are of reproach and necessity and confusion and persecution. And you feel so all alone. You don't need to believe that God is with you. You need to know God is with you. You need to experience the power of God resting on you. That's what alleviates you of the struggle. I'm going back to this one last passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Which is a wealth of information here. And then I'm going to close. But in 1 Corinthians 4. um, I'm sorry. Pardon me. In 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says this. Therefore seeing we have this ministry. As we have received mercy. We faint not. And. I would I would bring that to all of our attention as, as I come to a close tonight. That Paul did not faint because he received mercy. Paul was not positioning himself with God in a time of distress or persecution. And arguing or, or presenting his case to God. Of all that he had accomplished in order to get God's help. But he, he cried to God for mercy. Mercy. Not because I'm this apostle. Not because I have suffered for you. Not because I've been hungry for you. Not because I've been reproached for you. Not because I stood up for you and no one else would. No, God, not on any of those terms. Do I ask for your help? I ask for your help in mercy. Because my joy is that my name is written in heaven. My joy is what you've done for me. And so Paul said, he he says it very clear, 2 Corinthians 4, we don't faint because we receive mercy. Beloved, can I tell you this tonight? Mercy is for you. But God is not going to make you take it. But it's flowing like a river for you. And the mercy of God comes with an abundance of his loving kindness and his compassion and his power and his grace and his strength and his presence and his feathers covering you and hiding you and lifting you when you don't have the strength to lift yourself. God does these things for us all the time. I say this, this is my appeal to you in in conclusion. And God only knows what our future holds. But for me, this is one of the great desires of my heart. Whatever season it is that I'm walking through, I'm more aware of it in a season of breaking than any time. And I said this to you not long ago, maybe a few weeks ago. 
It's time to get back to the simplicity of Christ. Not to complicate this life. But to just have this life of faith and reliance upon God. Have the joy of his presence. Be a people who are glad. A people who are happy. Even in the midst of persecution and trials. It wasn't in a prayer meeting. That Babylon recognized that Daniel's God was the Lord. It was in a lion's den. It it wasn't in a Bible study that Babylon recognized that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego's God was the Lord. It was in a fiery furnace where they're walking around with Jesus. And, And my appeal to us tonight for our sake, the body of Christ's sake, the church's sake, humanity's sake, for, for saneness in humanity, because this is an insane world. I, I mean, I, literally it is. The most influential voices in the world today are, are calling things wise that are foolish, calling things right that are wrong. It's an insane world. And, and in a world like that, I ask us, let's, let's, by the grace of God, let's be different than the culture. And I mean it in this context. Jesus said that the love of many will wax cold. The heart will just grow cold. The fire will not burn. I I believe with all of my heart, this is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I think that there's multitudes, because I have the privilege of traveling all over the country every year. There are multitudes of Pentecostal churches that you can't find the Holy Spirit in them. And I ask you for your heart to be on fire because of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And to not be contented with a cold heart. If you know that your heart is cold, your heart is dry, your spirit is dry. Don't be content with that. But pursue God. Pursue God in faith because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is a time when... You see in marriages everywhere, um, divorce, pain, friends turning on each other in our communities and in our societies, racism, bigotry, hate. I mean, pure, unadulterated hate in our streets, violence. The church has not escaped these things as well. These same things can happen, maybe at a different level, but these same things can happen. And I want to give you this word of advice, this word of counsel. Please heed this and I'll wrap this up. Be somebody because of the the power of God, not because of your own power, where you can stick it out. You can weather it. You can bear it. You can can bear 
the hard times. Because you know it's just a season. It's going to pass. And when it passes, I don't want to look back and see the bridges I burned. Are the things that God intended me to have in my life. To enrich my life through family and friendship. And partnership and companionship. But because I went through a hard season in my life where there was distress and there was, there was lack and there was confusion and there was persecution. And I wasn't happy at that moment in my life. And I felt lonely at that moment in my life that I, I look back on my life and realize I bailed. I, I bailed on things. And, and now I look back and the bridges of relationship are gone. I don't know how many times I've had a, a woman or a man weep in my arms and say, I can't believe I lost my marriage because I went through a season of darkness. I wish that I could have it back. And beloved, I say to you, it's a season. If you're in something with your friends and and there's a confusion there, it's a season. It's going to pass. And when it passes, you want to be standing strong. You want to be able to have those beautiful things in your life that God wants you to have. And, And young people and old people as well we can we can go through a, we can go through something where we we get offended we get hurt we we can isolate ourselves we can cut ourselves off we can withdraw ourselves and we look back a couple of years later a few years later and all that we could have had have vanished have vanished Stick it out. Like the Apostle Paul did. Stick it out. He said we suffer. But we bless. We bear it. We go through it. Because my shepherd not only leads me through the times of brokenness. He leads me to the times of healing. And he not only leads me through the perplexities of the desert. But he leads me to green pastures and still waters. And when you're in something where you just say, I don't, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. Stick it out. And I mean that in prayer. I'm not just saying bite your lip and get through it. I mean pray. Believe God for the change because that season is going to end. And when it does, you want it to end with the both of you together. With your friendships together. Because God gives that. And God does that. And I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to do it. And when you feel like you're all alone and you're standing all alone. And everybody has seemed to forsake you. You got to know. You've got to know that the Lord is there. You've got to know his power. That's his mercy. Mercy is God. Mercy is Jesus right there. More real to you than you are to yourself. More real to you, to you than the darkness. More real to you than the pain. Jesus is right there. I want you to stand with me if you will and... I just want us to consider this tonight. 
the, the, and, and really it's just the very real presence of God and the love of God. Years ago, um, I was studying through 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And I was just looking at some of the terms and some of the definitions in the Greek. And when I was looking at it, it, it was like God just gave me this paragraph. I just saw it, so I wrote it down. It's what I want to be. It's what Jesus is. I want to be this to you. I want us to be this to one another. And here it is. Few have painted a more beautiful picture of God in his glorious attribute of love than the Apostle Paul. God suffers long. God is not quick to destroy the wicked. Rather, his actions consist more of kindness towards them than judgment. God will judge, but he is more prone and quick to be kind. God does not have selfish affections for others, but seeks to enrich their life by his love. God does not seek to imprison people into loveless servitude, portraying himself as a jealous tyrant who does not get the proper attention he wants. God does not over-exaggerate himself nor boast by putting others down. He does not seek to abuse the weak nor crush the bruised. God's behavior is never inappropriate, intimately seeking to deliver the bruised and the hurting. God sacrifices himself for the good of others. God is not easily stirred to anger. God does not think of others as worthless with the intent of harming them. God does not celebrate wrongful actions of injustice against others. God rejoices in the truth. God is willing to put up with people and the disgusting traces of the fall until he can complete the gracious work of winning their hearts and sanctifying their lives. He will bear with them through their struggles, failures, and selfish sins. For he knows that without him, they have no hope. He will not take hope away from them. So God will bear with all who turn to him for help. God believes in the redemption of all people and the good enrichment of their final state of being. God hopes for this good ending for all people. God is willing to endure anything for anyone that is trusting in his love. God will never fail one who is trusting in his love. God will bring them to this good end. God will work everything together for good to those who love him. He will conform them to the glorious image of Christ. And I just want us to come before the Lord and ask the Lord for this baptism of love this fire of love in our hearts and I want us to come and enjoy the presence of God and I want God to do a work in our life that would show men in our generation not just a different way but the right way to live of kindness and love friendship sticking it out through the difficult seasons bearing it when we want to run, 
maintaining, endeavoring, loving, serving, helping. And let's just rejoice in God. God our Savior who loves us and has given himself for us. If your heart is cold, if your spirit is cold, ask Jesus to fill you with his Holy Ghost. Ask Jesus to give you a baptism in the spirit and fire that stirs up your passions, gives you the strength to love again, to live again, to hope again, to be joyful, to be happy, to have an expectation of God. Ask him for that. Enjoy him tonight. Enjoy him for he loves you. He loves you. He wants to take you under his wings and he wants to comfort you. He wants to lift you. He wants you to be weak so he can be your strength. And if you all begin and minister, I just say this last thing. Grace is for you. And like a river, mercy is flowing. Paul said, I received that mercy. You have to receive it. It's flowing like a river right to your door. Open that door up. Let the mercy of God hold you. Let the compassion of God comfort you. Let the love of God give you peace and rest in his presence tonight. Thank you.